Welcome to Always See Everything, the movie podcast where we review, riff on, and rank every film in the Criterion Collection. I'm Anthony, and this is the baby from Hard Boiled, years later in therapy, Sean. A lot of people, they ask me, they talk to me, they say, hey, you know, you're the baby from Hard Boiled. They ask me for an autograph and everything. And, you know, I, they ask me, when you were held in his arms and you saw all those guys just gunned down one after another, you got the blood splattered on you, you know, God knows what his body count was, you know, a dozen creeping into the hundreds maybe none of that really affects me but the fact that i i i got scared i was a baby but i got scared and i pissed on him and it got all over him and and he's just he's so cool and i and i don't think he knows how much i appreciated it i'm gonna fucking cry again on today's episode, we're talking about John Woo and Chow Yun-Fat's other movie about two people on opposite sides of the law that ultimately assured the non-cop's death and their mutual respect for one another as Yun-Fat's girlfriend cries, hard-boiled. We're talking two movies where people feel abandoned by their society and seek salvation walking around a barren landscape, which is Nicholas Rogue's rock walkabout, and the movie Tokyo Drifter. And finally, one of the worst movies we've covered on this podcast so far, Walker. See, you're not. I wouldn't even necessarily contest you there, but it's also the best movie that we've covered. What did you think about t- this week's movies? This was a good week for me. See, for one, for something that we picked completely arbitrarily based mm-hmm. on the title of right. one of the movies. We chose some I, walking I think, movies, right? That yeah, walking thing. movies. Movies about walking. You mm-hmm. know, movies that movies that are giving walking. That's really <laughs> the, the core uniting principle here. And I think we managed to, to pull together a decent slot of programming. And then, you know, the, the John Woo one kind of stands out there. But that's, you know, that's fine. We're enjoying the man. We're going over. We're enjoying every part of it. Every we're, We love enjoying John Woo. This is our second uh, film in our John Woo sort of miniseries. Uh, or, sorry, this is our second episode and film uh, in that miniseries. We covered uh, John Woo's The Killer uh, last week and... Uh, this week we are covering Hard Boiled. Uh, how how are you starting to feel? We're, just as we start to get into Hard Boiled, how are you feeling about John Woo as as a director, as as a person? <laughs> I'm really getting what type of guy is he is, mm-hmm. which is a, is a man after my own heart in many many ways. You know, not I don't think really to anybody's surprise at this point. But what I'm really getting at this point is his his fascination with beauty and purity. And mm. the the front line of hard ass dudes who are out there to protect it against the untold teeming legions of mm. despair and degeneracy, one man will pound a tequila shot and take up arms against all of them. And what and if his like. name was Tequila? That no. was my big takeaway from the movie. Was I'm gonna name my kid Tequila? No, that was his nickname. Uh, come you're, on. You're was being his ridiculous. name was his name at, did they ever say that it's not his real name i'm pr- i until i see a birth certificate on tequila i'm going to choose to believe that this hard-boiled detective's name is actually tequila chow yun fed is actually half mexican he is not 
No, it's not. I was lying. Uh, Hard Boiled, directed by John Woo, uh, spine number nine in the Criterion Collection, and a 1990 film, uh, again, in order, This uh, going through the, we always do, uh, two films, in order of the Criterion spine numbers, and then we go uh, back and just randomly pick, each of us uh, pick something from anywhere in the Criterion Collection. And so this is in the order that we go in the through the Criterion Collection, this is the first movie uh, to breach the '90s. I feel like it's a little bit late to be explaining the premise of the of the podcast. Yeah, mm-hmm. I should stop doing that for sure. Yeah, I think here it is. Here's official line in the sand. Fifth episode. We are no longer explaining the premise. You yep. stupid motherfuckers are on your own. Fumble your way through the dark forest. Our hands are not there to guide you. Good luck. Good luck and good fucking riddance. Sean, also, I have to clip all these for the for TikTok. Like, yeah. I have to find little bits for TikTok, and you can't swear on TikTok. So I am trying my best to censor these for TikTok. What do you but want you to say to the TikTok? You can do whatever you want. What do you want to say to the TikTok audience right now? I mean, I would say that I support the Chinese government, but that sounds like a joke. And I'm not <laughs> saying it sarcastically. <laughs> I do. Like, I like what, you know, do I agree with everything you guys are doing over there? Like, probably not. I haven't looked into it. You're probably doing some bad stuff. I don't know. I just, it'd be nice to have something different. Also, we review movies. (laughs) Yeah. So speaking of, so Hard Boiled, John Woo, 1990, the Criterion website. I had to really think, I had to think really hard about what the word website was called, but we got there. We got there, folks. We're living. We'd like to introduce, in lieu of us giving the summary and stumbling through it for Mm -hmm. 17 minutes and interrupting ourselves and each other, we're just going to read it straight from the horse's mouth. What does Mr. Collection tell us about Hard Boiled? So he's got, Violence as poetry, rendered by a master, brilliant and passionate, John Woo's Hard Boiled tells the story of jaded detective Tequila, in quotation marks, not his given name, Mm -hmm. Yun, played with controlled fury by Chow Yun-Fat. Wu's dizzying odyssey through the world of Hong Kong triads, undercover agents, and frenzied police raids culminates unforgettably in the breathless hospital sequence. More than a cops and bad guys story, Hard Boiled continually startles with its originality and dark humor. So one note here, one, one brief little, I'm gonna blue pencil um, something on this, on this criterion summary here. It says it culminates unforgettably in the breathless hospital sequence. To say that implies that it isn't half the movie. (laughs) That's true. And that's not me complaining. This movie has a first act and a third act. It doesn't really have a second act at all. Who needs it? Hard Boiled is amazing. I enjoy this movie so much. But it is kind of... Uh, bottom heavy <laughs> the the second half is so much better than the first half because the second half is one huge long shootout uh in, that takes place in a hospital and you know you got this whole cat and mouse game oh is this guy on the level is this guy a criminal uh because because that summary did not really mention tony lung's character who uh, you know in uh, to to contrast the very cool tequila uh tony yeah, lung he is the riku to tequila sora right and so instead of having the really cool name of tequila he has the really cool name of alan so we did you got the white guy names this time as well D- is that true 
Yeah, I think we watched the same version. So finally, we're on the same page. And okay, half the episode isn't us being like, okay, so my Mickey Mouse is is your is is your shrimp, chow, chow, shrimp head. Chow. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Shrimp yep. head, really? That was what they call. That was the translation I got. I believe shrimp head. you. It just sucks. I mean, that makes sense for Mickey Mouse. Question mark. You fuck Mickey Mouse. We are taking a hard line stance against Mickey Mouse. You're going into the public domain, pussy. I'm gonna draw you shaking hands with Muhammad, and I'm gonna wait to see who gets mad at me. <laughs> Honestly, Disney will get mad at you first. <laughs> yeah. So, how funny do you think this movie is? Because I think that that's going to be. I don't I, think I don't it's know. a comedy no. full out. I, I definitely I don't so, see no. it uh, or I don't even say it, uh, see it on the same level as face off, which is like the other sort of ridiculous John Woo over the top, trying to be funny kind of mm-hmm. a movie where I it, seen it, that one. I, Sean, you would love it. It is exact. I, I mean, it is, it. it is this cranked it. up to 11. Cause the thing is, this is what people don't talk about with face off is that he, they take his face off. Are you fucking kidding me? No, but the craziest thing about Face Off isn't even the fact that they take people's faces off and they, like, swap. The craziest thing about Face Off is there's also, like, a maximum security prison that's on an island in the middle of a city that where you wear, like, boots that magnetize you to the floor. Like, they have a whole science fiction segment in the middle of their very traditional, like, is this cop gonna be, like, killing this other cop, even though they, like, swap faces? I mean, I don't know. I watched the Nostalgia Critic video 10 years ago and he he said it was a a shitload of fuck Sean, i keep on bringing up roger ebert as like my you know sort of every time we talk about a movie we have to like give credit to the man or whatever and i'm, yeah, you know, I'm the glad original, to know that right? one of the great critics right and i'm glad to know that 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 criticism isn't dead with uh mr what's his face doug uh from doug walker yeah doug walker doug uh, funny walker doug i talk like this and it makes comedy walker oh you don't want to hear my nostalgic impression i'm you good don't, you don't want to hear it you don't want to hear it yep yep uh you know what sean i'm gonna change my answer hard-boiled funny in comparison to that no the I, only thing nostalgia critic is good for is watching stinking alvin and the chipmunk videos like it has to be that level of trash for me to be like, I will actually watch a Nostalgia Critic video on this. The only thing Nostalgia Critic for is is making love to me. So in Hard Boiled, um, where, 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 where do we start with, you know, compare and contrast a little bit with the killer? Well, this one also starts in a bar. You, but this time, instead of having having like the girl who's like the singer and it's all dramatic and, you know, we're all like lusting for her. We start with... Chow Yun Fat wailing, wailing on a on on a saxophone and looking. Oh, I thought you were gonna say wailing on a tequila shot because <laughs> first shot he decimates. Right, it. but then he gets on the sax and he looks amazing and he's covered in sweat and it is uh. uh it's just guys being dudes. Sure, but it's but it's showing his like intensity for something that seems uh very beautiful and poetic and whatever and that kind of i think really introduces you to him because he's like i'll take the shot my name is literally tequila and also i am going to put my heart and soul into the saxophone and then five minutes later i'm going to get in the awesomest gunfight of all time and then see my bestest friend in the world who had the most perfect family ever get viciously gunned down in front of me 
And then my chief yells at me for taking advantage or for, for not arresting the guy for taking advantage <laughs> of the guy. My chief arrested me for fucking the suspect again. That's a good movie. I had really, really wanted to watch this movie for forever because I had just seen the clip of him going down the stairs with the two guns as he's mm-hmm. like, uh, he, so he gets at one point he's sliding on the railing on his back, shooting two pistols at the same time. And it is an amazing shot and it's amazing feel like effect, you know, mm-hmm. but, but also it, it's kind of the peak action of the movie. That's probably the coolest, like, stunt in the film, I guess. There's a lot of explosions. I mean, obviously, we haven't even touched the, the, the hospital scene. The hospital hospital scene. Hospital you gotta half the first of time, the man. movie. But the, but the hospital sequence doesn't have stinking Chow Yun-Fat doing anything that interesting. It just has him shooting, you know, surrounded by fire and babies and, and explosions. What movie did you watch where... Tony Lung and Mad Dog didn't have the sickest fight of all time. Mad Dog? That was insane. Mad Dog? You don't remember Mad Dog, the eye patch guy? I'll, I'll concede that. That's probably the best fight. But the best part Score of that fight one isn't, for me. isn't them doing anything impressive. The best part of that fight is when they they have to stop fighting because they're there's a bunch of uh, pedestrians, civilians in, in the... What, 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 what's that face for? No, I just think it's really funny where this scene ends up. Yeah. Oh, so okay. Wait, wait. All right, we're skipping all around here. What What is it that makes this movie so attractive to you? I I like this movie a lot. I think I I think that we're we're tra- we're starting to sharpen our edges on each other for the think, for the Walker fight that's about to to hit the, everyone's ears. I think we like it a similar amount, honestly. I think really? you're, you're putting me into a box here. Oh, you're like, okay. oh, all there's right. oh, there's Asian guys shooting guns and doing flips. And this is Sean's favorite movie. Sean. It's his favorite movie. And I'm like, you know, it's, it's No, no, no. Like I'm it. going by our Letterboxd ratings because I think you gave it uh, four and a half stars. Oh, and yeah, I gave it three and a half. And then after a little consideration, I changed it to four. But like that was. Yeah, whatever. It's the same score. Who cares? <laughs> like, I mean, the, the, the fundamental thing with me, and here's where we disagree, is I really liked the first half. I think that it, it is rife with a lot of cute, fun, pretty, I, I would say minor innovative scenes like Mm -hmm. the warehouse shootout i mean i wouldn't say it's innovative but there's something really lovely about all these guys on motorcycles just gunning down so many warehouse workers or the scene in the library where he he takes the book he takes the the gun out of the complete works of shakespeare because fuck books they're boring nobody's even gonna check if there's a gun in them the gun is mightier than the book. who wants to read the complete works of shakespeare he's dead anyway right i killed him and, you know, when he does the little detective work, really awesome detective work, by the way, yeah. he Why looks around he for clues, <laughs> he finds the clue instantly, and then he's like, yeah, yes, that's what makes him the best. I mean, he's basically Batman before the Batman, Yeah, where, where he's just like, oh, I guess there's a clue here. All right, let's, let's take this back and clue it up. Well, he's Batman in Arkham City, where if you put on <laughs> the detective vision, you can see the plot important <laughs> items highlighted. Which is a really good ability. I recommend Mm -hmm. it if you've got the specs for it. The thing that disconnects us, I think, is I think that a lot of the character stuff here is genuinely very charming. Oh, right. I think that tequila is 
he's a nice character, you know, very traditional, very traditional sort of guy, but actually not really, because you say hard boiled, right? And you imagine the trench coat, you imagine the guy right. who talks about dangerous. No, cigars. yeah, he's not like, that. He's, he's not he's got that some, at all. He's goofy. He's got a lot of specifics to him that, that make him worthy of it. Like there's this thing in the movie where he's fishing off of a pier and obviously it's all in the service of, of he's going to meet someone there and he's going to mm-hmm. make an exchange using a bucket and blah, blah, blah. But the weird way that he's like clearly a good fisherman, like he mm-hmm. actually is a fisher. It, it's what I call a blender. And I, I stole this from another podcast, but it is a it is a random detail about a character that has nothing to do with anything like, oh, I own a blender or I and I like really am obsessed with it or I, you know, collect baseball cards or whatever. And it'll never right. come up again, but it makes you sort of like the character maybe a little more like the fact that he can just fish hey, and is good me. at it. Yeah. And I, I, I do see these like little bits there. I like the stuff with the roses. It's- oh yeah. I forgot about the whole roses thing. He's right. got, he's got, I really like the back and forth between him and his lady friend. They just, just the way that they're, it's just a wall of in jokes, them singing at each other, making stupid jokes and right. telling each other to fuck off and, and suck each other's dicks. I suppose uh, like grabbing their nuts like it's breaking bad. Like it just it feels like a couple that's been together forever. Yeah, that's true. I suppose it's cute. It is. Admit it, it's cute. It is cute. It's cute. One hundred percent. I I honestly, th- this is my main problem with the first act, it, it, and what really just separates us or whatever is, I just get so bored the moment where they like meet each other and they're like oh well he was an undercover cop and maybe he's gone too far and he's got all the cranes hanging there and he's like well i make one every time i kill someone and he goes and uh stinking uh chow yun fat goes to tony lung and he goes well who will make one for you when you're gone oh that's so cool it's (laughs) it's so I, I don't want to say cheesy. It just, it kind of mellows out for me. I, spe- I think that it might be uh, fatigue after watching The Killer last time. And mm-hmm. obviously, I, and I actually watched this after Tokyo Drifter, which we'll get to later, but it has a similar sort of like, this is the character. Look at, he's got quirks and this is the other character. And they also are a little quirky and it gets a little, but they all kill each other. It gets a little stale after a bit. And I, I think it might just be my personal fatigue of being like, all right, come on. Let's yeah. let's let's get to the part where they shoot each other because because I'm tired of this. Are they gonna kill? Will they? Won't they kill each other? <laughs> kind no, of thing. They become friends. Yeah, no, they do. They become friends. Who knew that John Woo would make a f- movie that's actually about two characters, not one, and they sort of become friends by the end and like shoot at a bunch of oh, corrupt sort of, people. They become blood brothers. Mm-hmm. I like the other duo better. Tony Lung is amazing in this movie. I, I actually five think tiger he's, a, generals. he's a standout actor in this film. It's so well acted. I think like pretty much. Totally. I mean, the, the henchmen and whatever evil guys are, are kind of whatever, but sure. Mad Dog is really great. I mean, he's got like mm-hmm. a, a Hong Kong Kung Fu cinema, like Venom gang pedigree. So that's no, not surprising at all right but he's like he's very intense uh in in this really fun way and you know chow yun fat is fantastic the i mean the the big difference like yeah you draw so many similarities between hard-boiled and the killer and you're like oh it's basically the same movie but the killer chow yun fat and tequila here they're very different characters oh 
totally. And, and Chowdhury totally. Fat like brings this this wonderful like goofiness to it. Like he's mm. such a fucking good actor. Like I, legitimately blown away by what an incredible fit he is with any kind of tone that John Woo tries. Match made in heaven. I will say, uh, I have I I, I got to reveal my cards here. Uh, I actually lost a job because of Chow Yun Fat. I this is this is true. This is actually mm-hmm. true. Uh-huh. I w- I had to. I will not say who it was, but I had to. Uh, I was auditioning, sort of auditioning or whatever, to write for a a site that talks about movies and Mr. Skin. They gave me four options to choose from, and I didn't know a lot about most of the topics. And so I finally cho- – the topic I chose was uh, how the world's end relates to Hong Kong cinema. Okay. And because I know I know world's end, I know a lot about uh, stinking Edgar Wright and I – you know, whatever. Great movie, blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. And so I ran out of time because I was Googling facts about Chow Yun-Fat. I, I lost the job because I did not make it in time and was too rushed and didn't know anything about Hong Kong cinema. And so a couple of my facts were wrong. And uh, I panicked. So if you ever have to live, die, repeat that day again, you're never going to make that same mistake. Of course not. Now I know that Chow Yun-Fat is the guy who teams up with some other guy and becomes Blood Brothers by the end. And they shoot each, uh, at people and there's doves, maybe and purity yeah. and like the babies we have to save the babies the babies is the best part Maybe. of this movie it's I, so I keep fun. on saying i keep on seeing a lot of things i i love this movie this movie is great i keep yeah. on saying a bunch of negative things you have to find nitpicks you know because everything that everything that we've gushed about we've already gushed about right in in the killer exactly and so There's you have overlap. to find the differences and the the whatever and the babies is such a smart idea. So the go the final set piece of this movie takes place in a hospital because someone has been taking guns into the hospital and keeping them there, which is amazing. It's a great idea. I am going to steal that for a D&D campaign. Can one I day. say something that you're going to cut out? Go for it. That's also what they're doing. In the- I thought this movie was good. And so they go to the hospital and they're trying to shoot their way out and they have to save uh, all the the bystanders there. A and I think that's really amount of bystanders. And here's the thing that I really love is how many they fail to save. <laughs> like so many people just get gunned down. It's right. fucking awesome. It is it's terrifying it is very how, how would i say it it's it's a very un-american way of making this kind of blockbuster think right. of the dark knight right the dark right. knight is this movie that you know they have the set piece at the hospital everything gets blown up whatever right and when when the hospital gets blown up it is supposed to be sort of a low point for batman right mm-hmm. but no one died there were no fatalities at, at, that we can tell in the move in that in that moment the only fatalities that happen in the movie are like people who w- are putting their lives on the line by their by their business, their cops and judges and that sort of thing. The innocents, or I guess the you know the the guy the the guy who dresses up as Batman and whatever. But there's very few innocents that are like thrown in 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 harm's way. Whereas this movie kind of throws them in the meat grinder. Yes, and it doesn't and it doesn't have to make too ma- big of a deal about it. I mean, the movie is thematically in in my opinion my big reading of the film or whatever is the movie is about sort of the toll that that bystanders take by having cops do their dirty work for them by sort of having these people with with guns and and power have to have to take out other people with guns and power 
it means that people are going to die and get caught up in the middle of it and the cops try their best but really in the end someone's gonna die it does treat that kind of casually semi-casually none of the babies die as as you were as you were pointing out but plenty of the the bystanders just don't make it yeah it's pretty funny it is really funny because you know we alluded to earlier the the scene between uh between alan and mad dog Mm -hmm. where you know they're in between each other pointing guns at each other but there's a a crowd of huddled bystanders in between them and there's Mm -hmm. this this moment of tension where it's okay neither of us are are willing to go this far and then the villain comes in with an smg and kills every single one of oh that is not funny to me that is not funny to me at all (laughs) (laughs) sean that's not funny it is. That's it supposed is. to be about how like there there are these guys. I mean, we're going to talk about this too. Like, there's this grand illusion, right? The the grand illusion thing oh, that we keep I bringing was up. Talk about the grand illusion. Okay, you can talk That's about my it. Idea. Okay, you talk about it. But I'm saying Fine. that they're they're honorable enough not to kill each other, not to kill all these bystanders, even though this guy is literally like a yakuza stereotype with like an eye patch and like a Jackie yeah, Chan's haircut, he's got like. Sense of honor. Right, but he still has this sense of honor of like we don't kill these people. He puts down his gun, and they're very slow about it and whatever. And then the guy, and then the villain comes in, and the point is the villain doesn't give a crap about your little. Uh, oh, I'm honorable. I'm not going to kill these people who are literally hobbling around on crutches trying to escape me. I'm just going to mow them down like I am. I'm a stinking lawnmower. Come on. Yeah, because he's he's the young upstart. Because we, we get introduced this old established crime boss who's kind of mm-hmm. got the sense of honor about him, right? Right. And he's he's got these own his own moral convictions, but then the the young up and comer who's underhanded, who's dirty, who just wants to make money, he'll put guns in the bottom of a hospital, he'll kill a comical amount of innocent people. Like mm-hmm. he he's the one who supplants him. And right. before you stealed my idea about saying because we've we've been talking about this, right? Ever since week one, movie one. This idea about the the degeneration of of honor, like this sort of spiritual immaterial um, death, of, or this this perception at least that of this decay, like oh, our, we're not the we're not the same men our fathers were, Dupree. We don't even look like them. Mm-hmm. That idea, you know, the idea like everyone before us had this sense of honor; they were better than us. And um, what's happened now? There are no men of honor anymore, and that's. You know, we, we have, you know, I think differing kind of takes on that. But mm-hmm. to me, that's the grand illusion. This idea that there's this sort of spiritual, you know, implacable sense of, of moral decay. You know, I, I feel like there's some pretty good reasons, material, physical reasons why the world is worse now than it was 50 years ago. Sure. But yeah, to me, so from henceforth, from henceforth, what the fuck am I doing? From here henceforth, on Henceforth, yeah. Yeah, henceforth, we've got the grand illusion. That is the concept. We are minting it. We are TMing it. And we will try not to explain it 400 times as the episode's gone. This is the last time it gets explained. Right, like Mickey Mouse or Shrimp Head, as we like to call him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, so the grand illusion, it basically represents, the, that phrase we're, we're really saying represents sort of this idea that 
men used to be better. Men used to be uh, real men or chivalrous or whatever it is that they would not have done this kind of thing. And, and that was the old way. And now the new way is who cares? Kill everyone. It yeah, doesn't you matter. Could say, you could say that this current generation, these last few waves of those honorable men, you could say that that's the last hurrah for chivalry. Mm, interesting. Uh, that will come up next week. But yes, yeah, I, I wonder if John Woo, uh, John Woo seems like he's interested in this. Uh, obviously, the killer, the killer doesn't even break the grand illusion, if that makes any sense. The killer basically says these two guys, they might be exceptional. It's not like there's a new world and an old world. They are these old world guys who have this honor about them, it, like heat, like anything yeah. else. And you it's, know? it's their, like there's select in any age, there's a select group of men who are on the vanguard of protecting the purity and beauty that exists in the world. Right. Always Ghost have, dog, always will, samurai, right? Yeah, not everyone's up to it. I think that uh, we will continue to encounter these kinds of movies. In fact, we might in, in like just two of them. But uh, anything else you want to say to to wrap up our, our feelings about uh, Hard Boiled or John Woo in general? No, I mean, it's this movie makes me smile. This is one to show people that'll make them smile. And it's it has been, I watched it last year for the first time, it has been for at least a year and probably more, full in its entirety on YouTube.com. So You're kidding me, really? No, no, I'm not. I worked so hard to get a copy of this and it was on YouTube the whole time? It's a Google search away, brother. You got no one to blame but yourself. Fair enough. Hard Boiled is in the books. It's over. We're burning the document that has all of their information on it, and we're sailing off into the sunset. That's my dog. The last thing I do want to say, though, I actually, I, and I talk, talked to you about this beforehand, I thought he died. I thought Tony Lung was dead at the end of this movie. It is very clear to me now that that he was alive, that that they're trying to say, say that t- Tony Lung goes, his character, Alan, at the end he gets out. shot. That, that there's a fake out that it seems like they're burning his documents to say like, oh man, you think that he's dead, but actually he's he's retired and he's going to go off into the sunset on his boat or whatever. I interpreted the shot of him going out into the sunset on his boat as him being his, his entering into the other world. Exactly. And whatever that is, it doesn't really matter, but sort of like we're sending him off and that's how we're going to end this movie. But especially the way that they start playing the credits over it to me very much says, no, this actually is real. This is actually yeah. happening, you know? And, and I, I get that. I just, my first viewing, I, I think that I, I, after the high of the hospital sequence and, and the rescuing of the babies, which we barely touched on, but the, he rescues a baby in the middle of this fight where he like holds the baby and he jumps out of a building and it's amazing. After after that, like uh, insanity, I think I was just like, oh, and he's dead. All right, cool. I'm not yeah. going to no need to think for like two seconds about this. <laughs> no, we got a happy one this time. A nice, happy ending. And that's what you love to see. Speaking of happy endings, what's next? This is not a happy ending at all. We have Nicholas Rogue's Walkabout. Now we're going to encounter Nicholas Rogue. I, I don't I'm probably mispronouncing him. N- Nicholas Ruiz. What's actually Nicholas. Uh, we're going to be encountering him several times because he's got bad timing, don't look now, insignific- insignificance, and the man who fell to earth all in the Criterion Collection. Uh, the man who fell to earth is famously an out-of-print one that uh, lots of people are, are on the hunt for. But uh, we're encountering his first film, Walkabout, here. 
it, it, according to the Criterion website, it is a movie about uh, a young sister and brother who are abandoned in the harsh Australian outback and must learn to cope in the natural world without their usual comforts in this hypnotic masterpiece from Nicholas Rogue. Along the way, they meet a young Aborigine in on his walkabout, a rite of passage in which adolescent boys are initiated into manhood by journeying into the wilderness alone. Walkabout is a thrilling adventure, as well as a provocative rumination on time and civilization. It is definitely one of those things. Here's the thing that I most take issue with there, is they are very gentle in describing them as being abandoned in the desert. (laughs) Because their dad, who is a hard-drinking, I mean, he's a classic celery man, right? He's at his job, he's generating new tanes, and whoa, then he whoa, takes whoa. them- you gotta, home. you gotta set the scene. What, are, did they, they're not from Australia, right? They're from right, they're England English, or English people who are in Australia. Yeah. Imagine, like, a cartoon of an English schoolboy and an English schoolgirl. That's what we're kind of working with here. Mm-hmm. Jane and Michael Banks from, yeah. from yeah, yeah. Mary Poppins. So their dad takes them on a fun trip to the outback, where he drives out, hours from any sort of civilization he gets them out of the car and he instantly starts firing at them he starts shooting at the boy and the boy thinks he's playing a game the boy has like a toy water pistol or something and is shooting back at the at the dad and the dad is shooting an actual gun and quickly this the, the girl who is sort she's a she's an you know teenager early teen maybe mid teen not 18, very notably. <laughs> but the girl quickly realizes, oh, he's actually trying to kill us. Which also makes me think that, like, there's something going on in the family where she was like, yep, this was happening. Like, uh, finally. Yeah, finally, he's, my, dad snapped. Like, maybe there was abuse going on, or maybe it was as simple as dad has been depressed for a while. This is where he finally takes it out. I, and I didn't realize it, right? And he just shoots at them. And then they run away from him and he calls for them and then he kills himself and blows up he their car. He gives up pretty fast. Yep. Yeah. Because he doesn't care. Because what's the point? Because yeah. life. <laughs> He's a loser. Can't even kill your own kids. Come on. Well, once they're out in the desert, I think that um, here's the thing. And we discussed this briefly. I have seen exactly one Terrence Malick movie and it was Badlands. <laughs> and right. so maybe it's. That is what I say by way of excuse when I say that this movie was very much giving Malik to me. Uh, it's Malikian because nature shots. No, but really, <sighs> how you? How about you? How about you, Malikian? That no, that wait, okay, because then that would be my Malikian. The um, okay. So how about these? No, that wouldn't. So Terrence Malik is definitely one of my guys. Terrence Malik is. This guy who I, I care a lot about, and he's one of my favorite directors, and I, I I own a bunch of his movies. I own all the ones that he has on Criterion. I am missing only Knight of Cups to have the complete collection of, of his films. And so saying that it's Malikian as someone who considers himself an expert... Uh, I think is a little bit of a stretch. I do see what you're seeing when it comes to Badlands. Badlands is his most... I would say his most narrative feature because it has yeah. such a obvious it's pretty plot. normal movie, all things told. I mean, in comparison, a little bit, but not really. Of course, that's only for Malik or whatever. It's the Terrence Malik movie that was most easily adapted into a Bruce Springsteen song, and I feel like that's 
a fair enough a fair enough way to to categorize but it. terrence malick has always had this sort of spiritual edge to his nature photography whenever you uh, uh badlands being probably the biggest exception almost uh, all his movies have when they show people out in nature it is them either communing with sort of god or communing with uh their the, their internity through the hourglass of nature right uh and i a spyglass is what i meant to say i love communing through an hourglass looking through my hourglass i can't see a damn thing this is wizard broken. of oz style <laughs> there is a moment where that happens because late in this movie when the aborigine boy shows up who is never named so we're just going to continue continue to talk to call him the aborigine boy because boy. that's yeah the the boy right when he shows up, I mean, no one has names. The girl, the boy, even the subtitle yeah. said girl, boy, right? Well, he's boy from the, the Taika Waititi movie, but he grew up. Uh, he's going to grow up into protagonist from uh, Tenet or whatever. Yeah. When they are out swimming and they show the Aborigine boy hunting while the girl uh, gets completely naked and swims in sort of a, a small pond or a, a small watered area one of the reasons this movie is kind of difficult to watch uh, they do a lot with that that feels malikian mm-hmm. where it is sort of about the two of them in their separate ways and also together using nature as a way to encounter themselves and and feel more like fully fleshed out human beings and growing up and all that and i so so i see that but most of this movie other than uh, you know they just have nature shots and pretty shots of sunsets and that that's really the, where the parallels to to malik well, and I, I feel like it's a little bit spiritual though right because and this is something that I observed as I was watching the movie, but then I sure. looked it up afterwards and every single other person observed it. The yeah. Outback is very much like a Garden of Eden kind of scenario here. Sure. Like kind of a two of every animal sort of thing. But it's like if the Garden of Eden was hell also, <laughs> which is fun. Um, I, I think that there's a little bit of a spiritual edge to it. I, uh-huh. It's not super pronounced. You know, I won't pretend. I mean, we'll get to Malik, really. And I don't think it does this movie too much justice to get you started on, on old TM. Oh, 100%. Uh, I love this movie. I, I just. No, this is a good one. I like I, it. Honestly, Sean, you just triggered the sort of flight or fight response I have when someone says that, like, well, it was such a Malikian movie. I I went into your aggro range and instantly (laughs) filled up your rage meter. Right. Like when someone's like, Life of Pi is Malikian. I'm like, no, it just had shots that involve nature. What are you talking about? Oh, man, I don't know shit about him. And that pissed me off. So, yeah, I kind of touched on it. Um, the, The two things that make this movie a little bit... A little bit difficult, a little bit dicey. Um, one is, yeah, we talked about it, an, an underage girl being in the nude um, quite frequently, which is like, uh, well, okay, I won't say quite frequently. And it's not like voyeuristic, really. There's artistic validity to it, but still, you know, it's... I, I know you're about to go on to your the whole... The I want you to talk about, like, the problematic elements or whatever, but I really briefly really before... Two. Before it gets too tough to, to talk about, the scene where they t- where they're, uh, her and the boy talk under the under the tree and they show shots of of the girl's uh butt and they show shots of like the and the boy's butt too they like show these weird shots that of the boy sort of caressing the tree and then it cuts to like the girl's legs and did they have sex is it 
ex- do you think that that's explicit enough to say that they actually did or are you or is it just the I'm point supposed to be that I hope they, they didn't I hope they didn't I hope that didn't happen well, well they're both teenagers okay all right fair enough we'll leave it at that that's the end I of- don't think it's good when anyone has sex oh. I don't think it has any place <laughs> there's that aspect also a lot of animals get fucking owned in this movie just absolutely annihilated you will never see the like no animals were harmed in the making of this film after this movie after any scene in this movie if you just showed any one scene in this movie it's pro it's pretty clear that some some animal was killed you see a kangaroo get totally murdered and i'm pretty darn sure that has to be a real kangaroo i can't oh yeah even conceptualize how they would have faked that i watch a lot of videos of animals getting killed and laugh deer versus landing <laughs> gear uh cow eats chicken and of course the classic pakistan railway train hit to donkey no qualifier <laughs> there um it's i just like that and it makes me smile when that's I see actually it. just one of your favorites they keep taking it off of letterboxd i wonder why but every time i see it pop back again i give it five stars <laughs> i've never laughed harder than when i saw that donkey be there one frame and it was gone the next to be clear sean by the way the actress who plays the girl in walkabout would have been 18 by the time they filmed this movie really i was doing a cursory google there and it said she was like 17 oh like there was some some there was some like i was just i uh, if if that's what happened i literally just googled her her the year she was born which is 1952 and then i subtracted that from 1971 and i was like okay that's okay well, that's, you are uh, a numbers guy so I yeah that I, well that's not really that means that, that she was 19 when the movie came out so theoretically she could have been 17 when they filmed two years earlier but i just subtracted one and was like oh that must have been when but fair enough very possible some of the i think that this movie treats its female star as well as it can for what it is clearly doing in under the circumstances of this has to be well kind of what you said it's an adam and eve narrative they have to sort of encounter that ultimately this movie is about uh survival it's about being raised never to have to think about how you're going to survive and then eventually having to grow up and realize that you always have to think about how you're going to survive and the artifice of modern life or whatever is just that it's just an artifice and you are you know steps away from never being able to uh, see another person in civilization again yeah and it's i don't think we really did justice it's just like it's a very pretty movie and it is kind of cheating the australian outback but it it really makes it feel lived in you know (laughs) the outback (laughs) because <laughs> i mean well like, I no, wait, seriously like wait. seriously it, it has all these shots of like these little these little animals running around and all mm-hmm. these little insects it's lived in but not by humans i'll take that yeah, yeah yeah i don't know i i really don't have that much to say about it other than this is um it's a vibes movie it's more than that but it is also a vibes movie you can't take that away from it so i have this list that i've been updating and i would love to hear from our listeners on on tiktok or on whatever way that you can contact us i've been making this list and so if you have anything to contribute of movies where that kid goes to a nature-based place with older people grows up and probably understands their parent better 
And so we've got Walkabout is my latest addition to the list. We've also got Secret Life of Bees, The Secret Garden, which needs a Blu-ray restoration. I am telling you clearly that and The Little Princess, they both are only available on a DVD combo pack together. And this A Little Princess is made in a four by three and it drives me insane. And so they need to make that an actual Blu-ray. Um, but though, and secondhand lines, those are these movies where it's like a person, a young person just on the, on the cusp of manhood or womanhood is, is going to this place. And, and maybe there are like these old people there and, and there's like nature there and they like become a better person. You have the ant bully on that list? (laughs) No. You should put it on. I haven't seen it, but it's probably about that. But they just like become this like older person. And we, so we should really, I mean, we should talk about the ending of this movie because it ends on sort of a bleak. Depending. Yeah. It's, it's, it gives you, it gives you some stuff to chew on. So she, they go through this thing. So uh, we're really not doing this film justice. This is a great movie. I I love this movie. This is a lot happens in it. It's just not a lot happens. And so it's hard to, to really boil it down. And we really got to get to Walker as I keep on hinting at Uh, this boy and this girl, they go out. They're in the the wilderness. They encounter this Aborigine uh, boy who also is able to, uh, you know, feed them, bring them food, that kind, of, uh, you know, find water for them, which is a really, uh, in a very sexual way. <laughs> but yeah. he's able well, to find like water the for fact them. that he like like directly breastfeeds them was really surprising to me. That is not true. That doesn't happen in the that movie. Does not Sean. happen in the movie. <laughs> Sean, you gotta realize that not everybody watches all four movies. I'm sorry, if you're listening to a 50-minute dissection of Walkabout, and you (laughs) haven't seen the movie, like, I have you have to let me lie to people a little bit. (laughs) Like, come on. It's advertising, too. We're gonna get a Criterion sponsorship, because people will be like, oh, I wanna see this. You can lie as much as you would like, Sean, as long as afterwards I get to say, nope, that's not true. (laughs) That's fine. I'm not trying to convince anybody. I'm just trying to be annoying. At the end of the film, the boy does this sort of ritual dance. The This this Aborigine boy starts doing this a ritual dance as they're nearing civilization. They're almost, they've, they're right across uh, around the corner from the, the nearest road. And this boy starts doing this weird dance where he's painted himself to look like a skull. And he's, he's dancing around and he does it all night. And then in the morning when they wake up, he has hung himself. And there he does this around the girl and she it's becomes- actually hanged. Uh, it's actually hanged. Sean, you add ED to the end of all your verbs, so shut up. <laughs> what? Is you that do that all the time. Yes, what? but you do it as a joke. You're like, oh, it, you really, uh, you know, did it, it really well or whatever. Like, that's like one of the Sean jokes. I don't notice what I say. So at the end of the film, he's killed himself and and the girl sort of sort of shows no pity for him and they kind of walk away and they're like oh well he was was weird he was being weird but they she was was freaked out she was like oh well right and there's again a sexual element to the scene where it's like is he gonna attack her what's going on here but she eventually just is like all right well he's he's gonna keep being being weird outside and and we're gonna like stay here and then when he dies she almost treats it as Oh well, good. All right. Well, we don't have to deal with that anymore. He he's he can't be random anymore. He can hold up a spork in hell. And then they walk, and they 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 leave. They are able to walk down the the street or the the nearest road, and they come to a company owned community. 
Yeah. I've ne- yeah. And I've never seen anything like this, but you know, I don't live in Australia or a company town and fa- famine wallabies. Yeah. And, and they eventually are able to find civilization. And then we cut to the girl years later, supposedly. And her husband comes in and is talking about how he like got a promotion at work and she's just flashing back real quick. Oh, He's talking to her about his draft king's luck this week. <laughs> Which is a sponsor like, oh. on our show right now. Cut to. <laughs> Can you imagine? I wish. I wish. Kings, if you want to sponsor us, I don't know much about sports, but I'll give it a shot. I think we should become the official movie podcast of Barstool Sports. <laughs> I think that would the be a good thing. The official movie for us. podcast of Barstool Sports is like being king of the dung heap. I think it would be pretty cool. It's I think like it would being, be like being the king of the awesome castle. <laughs> it's like being the nostalgia critic. <laughs> or probably a little bit better. <laughs> a little bit better than that at this point. And so uh, she sort of flashes back to her her days as uh, her days as with her brother as a walkabout. <laughs> her days with her brother and this Aborigine boy. And that's where the movie ends. And it is a movie that is about both that sort of weird in-between between civilization and nature, but also the weird in-between of uh, becoming an adult as a child, uh, not knowing what uh, experiences are going to develop you into the person you're, uh, you're going to be t- today. And um, it's it's fabulous. I, I, I really, truly walked away uh, from this movie uh, with a feeling of of, of reverence uh, that 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 I don't always get from these movies. Yeah, and I thought it was nice. I smiled when it happened. So the next movie we're going to talk about is a stinking cool movie. It's pretty awesome. Seijun Suzuki's Tokyo Drifter. This is also one of my favorite Criterion covers. Have you seen the cover for this Criterion? Oh yeah, it rips. With the, I was with the waiting red for gun the flare. The red gun flare, the yellow jacket. He's a he's got a gun and he's he's cool, man. We gotta talk about the color. We gotta talk about the fits in this movie. There's so Tetsu's much to talk about. Especially. In this jazzy gangster film, reformed killer Tetsu's attempt to go straight is thwarted when his former cohorts call him back to Tokyo to help battle a rival gang. Director Seijun Suzuki's onslaught of stylized violence and trippy colors is equal parts Russ Meyer, Samuel Fuller, and Nagisa Oshima. I've never heard of any of them except Russ Meyer. I don't need to admit that. (laughs) On Anything Goes, In Your Face, Rampage, Tokyo Drifter is... A delirious highlight of the brilliantly excessive Japanese cinema of the 60s. One word, three syllables. When I watch this movie, the moment you begin it, that come that word comes to mind. Say it with me now. Tarantino. Wait a That's second. More than four three syllables. syllables. That's four syllables. I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I thought you were joking. <laughs> no. <laughs> That was totally an accident. All right. Well, let's stay in it. I got to go through the Tarantinoisms of this 
of this movie. Okay. I made the list, right? Tarantino lightning round. Obviously, stylized black and white, right from the beginning. That just is just to show you, like, we're gonna show this scene in black and white because it's cool. Gangsters, uh, those random close-ups when when someone uh, sees someone else. Horns uh, in the background that are mariachi-like, that are uh, sort of westerny. Uh, Reservoir dog shots of like people walking down the street. Jazz, pop culture references, not revealing faces of characters to make them seem more ominous. Single colors uh, dominating the scene, very Kill Bill. Uh, sunglasses, code names. Uh, comics, they call each other things like Viper, uh, Quick Zooms, a Harmonica, a Bar Fight, uh, Dropkick, Dish as a Distraction, and of course, Whistling. I get what you're saying here. I get what you're saying here. Here's the thing, though. I don't like how you're coming out swinging with it, because I feel like that's doing a disservice. Because, yeah, absolutely, Tarantino bit this movie shit. It's an Asian movie in the, the 60s to 80s. Like, of course mm-hmm. he did. But it is, it really does feel like nothing else. You can go over the similarities, but let's, let's first talk about just how fucking cool this movie is. It's so cool. It, you're right. Well, let's start with the fits. We got, uh, Tetsu in this sort of yellow jacket and later he changes to a completely blue suit. You got stinking the villain. Baby blue suit. The villain is in this bright blood red jacket and has these wraparound sunglasses that he never seems to take off. And then he does, but you know, whatever. He's really cool when he has them on. You've got, uh, old man what's his name old man karata who doesn't really wear a cool fit but has a really nice look to him he's got a nice haircut i kind of like it he's a swaggy old guy shihara the the girl and who's uh who's uh she she sings her heart out and she wears plenty of these really nice like you know singer 60s singer outfits this it's it's not about the girls in this movie is the thing this movie is very definitively and to the utmost extent, a boy one. It's giving masculine energy. Yeah, but it's it's not it's not macho, as you would say. Maybe kind no, of an 100%. old school. But it's I mean, Tetsu, our main guy. I think it's it's very important to talk about what kind of guy are he is because he's he's got kind of a baby face, you know. Like every time you have these movies where it's a you know, mm-hmm. this this lapsed gangster, you know, he's sure. he's yeah. out of the game but he's coming back. You're like, okay, you know, older guy who's kind of like grizzled, war right. weary. This guy is like 22 years old. <laughs> he is he's like 5'7". He wears like altar boy on Easter suits. Like he that does. is his color scheme. Good call. That is his fit. And he is the perfect killing machine. His mom dressed him and then he came to work and like fired off this gun that shoots red. The muzzle flash in these movies, well, in these movies, in this movie, it feels like a few different movies put together. You know what it feels like? Hmm. It it feels like like a fan cut of like five different Zatoichi movies smashed together. (laughs) And it's awesome. It follows this weird structure where it has... Tetsu, uh, it's, you know, Tetsu, he's getting back in the game because he has to, and then he gets kicked out and he sort of goes on this like episodic drifting journey. It's almost like there was a Tetsu TV show that, that they just threw a couple episodes yeah, together. Yeah, this of. week's episode. Right. The Mand- it's the Mandalorian or whatever. The The other movie that this reminded me of, and I'm not the guy who just wants to throw out a bunch of comparisons, but seriously, La La Land. The beautiful, like, primary colors. Like, this this episode, or this episode, this uh, this scene is just going to be red. And this is what we're choosing to be the red scene. For no reason other than, like, emotional resonance, sure. But, like, it doesn't, it, like, it doesn't make sense. There's a set 
that is clearly a set that set is the bar and it's, it is like an old school hollywood musical like american in paris it's japanese douglas sir yeah Ooh, that's a good yeah but douglas cirque didn't do like like atmosphere well he did atmosphere but i mean he didn't do like set sets like this is actually like visibly a set if that makes any yeah, sense yeah it's like it's like a kid playing with toys this douglas movie. cirque 100 in the costuming though yeah you're right oh i can't wait to do it i can't wait to do cirque i, I do want do to cirque. touch briefly on the um on the red muzzle flash because mm-hmm. i think that between that Tarantino has as very specific taste. He likes movies, action-ish, action-adjacent movies about Asian guys where their weapons glow red when they shouldn't. Because mm. the other one is King Boxer, where they he got the Kill Bill siren, for, si, uh-huh. siren from. And it has my favorite effect in any movie ever because it's so simple and so effective. And it's to imply that this guy has mastered this this martial art. You know, he's he soaks his fists in these coals and turns his hands into deadly weapons. The way they do that is he holds his hands, palms out, and they shine a red flashlight on them. That is... It's so sick. Cheesy, but also sounds awesome. It's so cool. I mean, in this movie, it's far, you know, you could say more artfully done, but it's it looks... All of the action scenes have this, like, insane, beautiful, like, manic flow to them. And really the whole movie, the way it's edited is just, it's so wild. Because there's just all these blatant continuity errors that they're doing, just, Mm -hmm. and the way it, it really does drift is the thing, from one thing to another. Like, he's in the, he's in the snow level now. Now he's right. in the the ancient Japan level, and now he's in the Western saloon level, and mm. now he's in the the final boss room where you fight Marluxia at the last floor of Castle Oblivion, where it's just pure white. Right. Holy fuck! I I really am realizing how much that last scene is just like a data organization fright from Kingdom Hearts two. I got Kingdom Hearts on the brain today for some damn reason. Ugh, video games, man we're talking movies can we just do can we have next week's episode be on resident evil 4 remake because i've been meaning to play it and i i don't know fitting fitting in five movies is going to be amenable to that. <laughs> i was gonna it's say, basically a movie I, it it's a pretty bad one but sure that's probably pretty good i you're right there there is something that is it's like a video game level it's whatever it's very broken up so the first you know but he's he has to fight his way out and then he's fighting his way through and then he's kind of fighting his way back in the end that's the whole movie thank you for listening but that i mean that's truly it i i don't have anything to say about this thing except it's cool like go watch this is the fun this is the fun movie look we have we cover a lot of stuffy a lot of boring stupid bullshit that we pretend to like to sound smart that's not true, but we do c- cover a lot of stuff that's, you know, these old school movies that nobody wants to watch and d- don't go over well for the TikTokers and their their dances and whatever. Go watch Tokyo Drifter. It has such vibrant movement. It is well coordinated. The, ca- the, the, the characters are sort of these raw, silly little things that are, are going on at 
the director described this movie as a pop song movie, which is totally mm-hmm. what it is. It is a pop song as a movie, and they repeat the same stinking song that he sings about himself to psych people out, which is just really cool of him. I was going to learn to whistle for this episode and whistle it as I came on, but you can <laughs> see how that went. Uh, so if you are just trying to get into like foreign cinema or the Criterion Collection, maybe you think you're like a film expert because you just watched a thousand Tarantino movies. Go watch this thing and, and see how the sausage got made, my man or woman. If we talk about everything that's really cool in this movie, you know, we'll never we'll never get there. But true, the part where he is being held at gunpoint after his boss has betrayed him mm. and he says okay i'm surrendering my gun and he throws it up in the air and then he just runs over to it and catches it as it's coming down and oh shoots him. Gosh. and then immediately the moment he he dispatches the last enemy everything that's red turns white everything that's black turns white in the room <sighs> it's just it's magical realism bordering yep. on it's way more magical than it is realism to be honest it really is i i screamed aloud i didn't scream that's that's a little too you did i heard you over in ohio Uh uh-huh i i shouted aloud like the moment where he caught the gun and shot the guy i was just so happy in 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 that (laughs) moment of just it is so it is a beautiful I don't know. It's freaking cool. It's like Top Gun Maverick or whatever. It's 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 just blockbuster type filmmaking that makes you want to cheer, you know? Even though it's it's this it's, it's no, there's no like huge big I mean, there's a couple of big action sequences, but nothing like explodes or anything in this movie except the guns. I but it's not even like hard boiled where they have a entire hospital and these big crowd scenes and everything. There's a bar fight and that's probably the biggest action sequence in the film. Yet I, I really, this movie carried me through and I, I cannot recommend it enough. It's got a nice little story too about, mm-hmm. about um, cynicism and honor. There's this, this older mentor figure. What's it's like shooting star as his right. name. And he kind of takes Tetsu under his wing in a sense and it's it's you know there's there's a little bit i won't say surprises exactly sure but it's um i'm kind of surprised this isn't one of my favorite movies of all time honestly i feel I think the it same just, way it yeah. just can't for whatever reason there's an invisible barrier like some kind of glass ceiling that it just can't quite break through but on the right day if you show this to me i can i it can get me there i want to tell you what that glass ceiling is because to me that glass ceiling is the storytelling is not very good. There's when it has its action sequences, when it has when when it, when it needs to represent something like uh like when the 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 girl uh, Chihara thinks that her 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 lover is dead and she got, she gets really sad and she is singing and she looks really sad and there's this emotional shot that like pushes in on her. Uh, or maybe it pulls out. I cannot remember. But the, there's this when they need to convey these huge emotions, it works fine. When they're trying to convey what's going on in the plot and like why these people want to kill him and who wants to kill this person and whether that guy is a good guy or whether the cops who show up for like two seconds are like important or not to the plot, they they don't do that very well. And so I found most of this 
film most of this film most of my notes are just writing down names of characters tr- and then like crossing them out being like that guy's not important i uh i can see that i don't know if i feel as strongly with you there because mm. stuff like that isn't as important to me sure the continuity sure. of plot and everything i can i can get over as long as you've got a vision right you know I'm, but i thought you loved this a... nostalgia critic and that's what he's all about <laughs> that's true actually i take back every damn thing i said uh, so speaking of the is his name wait a second is he really named doug walker are you fucking kidding me well that's i mean that's a segue if i've ever seen one i, th- I think we've beat around the bush long enough today we have probably the first ever thing we've ever disagreed on and you have a lot of really like incendiary political opinions political opinions i'm playing y'all we are gonna cover alex cox's film walker Sean, would you like to introduce your, one of your favorite films of all time? So, uh, full disclosure, we, we, had, we had a little bit of a conversation before, and it was a good conversation, and I think mm. we both sorted our thoughts out a little bit more. We, right. we brought kind of each other a little bit closer to, to one another's perspective. I think it's gotten demoted very slightly. It's top ten, used to be top four, but I, I feel like I see, I see a little bit where it ends for me. You know, but we'll, we'll get into all that. But right. here is, as Mr. Collection describes it. So Walker by Alex Cox. It is a hallucinatory biopic that breaks all cinematic conventions. Walker, for British director Alex Cox, he's British? Ew. Tells the story of 19th century American adventurer William Walker, Ed Harris, who abandoned a series of careers in po- law, politics, journalism, and medicine to become a soldier of fortune and for many months the dictator of Nicaragua. Made with mad abandon and political acuity, and support of the Sandinista army and government during the Contra War, this film uses this true tale as a satirical attack on American ultra-patriotism and a freewheeling condemnation of manifest destiny. Featuring a powerful score by Joe Strummer, he is The Clash, he is from The Clash, and a performance of intense, repressed rage by Harris, Walker remains one of Cox's most daring works. So, I think that this is more or less... I have to be honest, I feel like this description kind of cribbed my shit here because I was going to say all this. I like the score. I, really? I will, I'll start off by saying the one, the big note that I wrote down very early on in this movie was the score seems to know the assignment. I think the score, here's the thing. I like pretty much every part of this movie. I mm. feel like the score is the thing that I like least in that I think it's pretty good. It's fun, right? It's a very interesting take on what is being required here because I don't know if I would say knew the assignment and that's not me, you know, poo pooing mm-hmm. it. I just think that it's like an interesting series of choices. I mean, Joe Strummer, right. the clash, it's like, okay, a little bit Calypso, a little bit reggae, those kind of inspirations. They're like right. uh, being on Island time. You know, I was about to do the voice and I'm glad I didn't. Uh-huh. <laughs> like it's, it's got that kind of vibe to it. And you know, it's got a decent amount of diversity. I don't know. It's just, there were a few misses in the score for me where pretty much everything else about this movie hits. So our main difference, so this is a 1987 film, Spine 423. Our main conflict here, Sean, I I, I think, I, we've got so many conflicts with this, and we're trying to slowly yeah. circle it, spiral it, is yeah. that I think this movie wants to be a satire, and I think that it is not. I think it is not funny. I don't think that there are a lot of jokes and I, that even you can say are not funny. And I think that because of that, it makes it feel childish and hollow. 
in a sense. Yes, hollow. And and in the same way that like someone making some some high schooler who writes an article about this man might be like and poo poo America and then like turn in that paper rather than doing any kind of real analysis or research. To be clear, because we're going to talk about like we have to it's ingrained within the the the, the film itself. The, I, I agree with the politics of the film. Obviously, this guy, bad dude did bad things. America, a complicated subject that does not is not always this perfect thing. We're going to solve it. We're going to solve We're going to solve it right now. conflict here. Yeah, that's why this episode is 14 hours long as you guys have noticed. Uh mm-hmm. we're going to solve politics right now. But I think that this has the same uh, it doesn't matter whether I I agree or not with the kid who like sits at the back of the class and is like America sucks. The fact that they're sitting at the back of the glass saying America sucks doesn't make them an artist. That doesn't make them interesting. That doesn't make them cool. That just makes them opinionated and loud. And that's how I feel about this movie. So I think that this movie is essentially perfect. Right. I think that it's it's purity and clarity of intention. Just the absolute concentrated, unbridled rage at this, at, at what... America is and what it, you know, American imperialism has wrought. I think, you know, maybe it's, I think it's a little bit unfair to say, well, you know, I, I think that you're being as fair to the movie as you can. I, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying, Sean. Feelings. And we talked before, you you were saying like, oh, this almost knocked it down a little bit for you. This knocked it, talking to you, it knocked it up a little for me. I can't say that it's a good movie. And that is what I'm struggling with because every movie we've covered so far, I've been able to say, well, yeah, but it's still a decent yeah this is this is the first movie that i think really had a risk um from either one of us of being something that whiffed and when i picked it full disclosure possibly full disclosure i would have i don't think i would be doing my job as a guy if Mm. you thought all of my favorite movies were good fair you we have to disagree a little bit you know because we're different kinds of guys Uh but so here's here's my thing with walker it is a simple movie it is, you know, in many ways you could say reductive to the issue, but to me, ultimately, the there's there's a beautiful kernel of purity to it. And well, let me let me say, I basically disagree with everything that you said to the point where I think it's fair to say, in every sense but the literal sense, mm. we did watch different movies. Mm, like right. our experiences were sure. so drastically different. Because from my perspective, this movie is fucking hilarious. It is packed wall to wall with jokes. I laughed many, many times. It's not the funniest movie I've ever seen, Uh but it is up there. And Uh given every other positive quality, I I think it's, I mean, come on. When they have the big banner with the Bienvenidos Nuestro Liberador Williams Walker, I mean... You, you can't they say this movie doesn't have name. Joe. Oh, it's yeah, it's so funny. funny. Yeah, it is funny. No. Williams Walker. Oh, <laughs> uh, what is? I didn't even. I saw that, and I didn't even register it as a joke, Sean. I just thought, oh, are they gonna have like the next scene be like he's mad that they misspelled his name? Is that what's no, gonna happen? And then the it movie, doesn't. No, and then it doesn't in happen. A lesser movie. I was that like, I happen. guess that was. Yeah, but I was like, or I when guess they that was a joke. And that's Nicaragua. why it's there. Yeah, when they land on Nicaragua the first time and the narration just completely glosses over the fact that their ship is burning and exploded in the background. Okay, that, that was addressed. pretty funny. I like that. That I, that was the first time when I was like, that was the first 
well that's the second joke in the movie because the first joke in the movie is when he said when when the what's his name the guy who sends him to nicaragua right vanderbilt vanderbilt when he sends a real guy (laughs) right when he sends him to nicaragua he says, I can do whatever I want. And he farts. Oh, I hated that part. That's the That's, worst part of the movie. Right, because potty humor. Right, we are potty against humor. it on this movie. We have no podcast. patience for toilet humor. Correct. We give no quarter to toilet Ooh. humor. I think the first joke in the movie is when William Walker is introduced as a war hero. And, mm. the you know, the, the narration, you know, leads him in there. And there's this big raging battle. And he's just he's just sitting in a room doing paperwork. And then he gets all the credit for it afterward. And at the trial, when he makes like a vaguely, really a filibuster type speech, very much a, a what does Bart Simpson say? Whichever country is Eat a country of choice. contradictions. Oh, oh, no, okay. sure. Okay. Okay, whatever. Don't be childish. <laughs> when he said, like, that's the equivalent of the speech Walker gives in his defense in the courtroom. And, you know, they're just like, oh, he's, he's not guilty. <laughs> That's fine. Let him off. I mean, here's here's the thing, though. I mean, ultimately, here's my vision of what Walker is. It is in a movie in conversation with not only the concept of the biopic, but in conversation with the lesser movie that would have been made about William Walker. Because the lesser movie, it wouldn't have been, look at how cool this guy is. It would have been, here is this complex tragic man here's mm-hmm. this story about how this man who had all these lofty ideals was degraded by the circumstances this movie strips away all of that artifice the entire project of alex cox here is just destroying and disassembling any sort of excuse any sort of nuance any sort of complication around this fact american empire is a vessel for the absolute worst instincts of humanity And not just the worst, the ugliest, the stupidest, the most craven, the most worthless, the most whiny, whinging. It's it's unpretentious, the movie, completely. It's anti-pretension. Anti-pretension can have its own pretension, though. You can have a movie. I mean, I guess, but it's not pretentious. I don't think it's pretentious at all. On what basis can we say that it's pretending to say things that it's not? That it, you know, that's not giving... It proper, is pretending to be some kind of, I mean, artful takedown of of sort of the biopic, as you said, which is... Oh, but you're using your own conceptions of artful here. It's being artful in a different way. I meant, I, well, this is what I, this I meant that it is parrying the concept of the artful bi- biopic, right? It is parodying the, the le- you know, you think of your sort of uh, Oscar Beatty kind of Bohemian Rhapsody type. Oh, and it's this movie about how this man was very complex and hard. You know, even, even uh, obviously, uh, even Lincoln or whatever, other kinds of uh his more historical figures less music uh, pop culture based figures yeah uh, there's probably but, there's it's a shame that there's such a dearth of historical biopics that you had to go to bohemian rhapsody first it's probably the best possible example no i was trying to think of like kind of bad version like or at least you know not right, like yeah. am- actually no, I mean, even a prestige version, kind of version, by the numbers version even even a great you know a good or great movie i think this 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 movie is still in conversation with and taking issue with i think that this movie is pretentious in that it basically supposes that you already think you already agree with it it never once makes any kind of advocation for its concepts but rather says you know screw you and screw everything and screw 
every again again i i don't disagree with the points that the movie is making but i think that it's stupid in the way it goes about it it. doesn't do justice to those points as you're yes it doesn't do justice to the very complex ideas that it's trying to convey but rather takes those ideas with uh, as as its baseline and then says and now we're gonna have fun dunking on everyone who doesn't think the way that we do and that is usually something that I, I like reserved for that I, that I think it should be reserved for for more uh, ridiculous subjects, especially because this movie is trying to also be a picture about what is going on in its modern times. You know, this is a 1987 film. It literally has Ronald Reagan at the end of the film. It really hasn't aged a day right it, that's because true it's, that's, i, I will concede that that's it is very idea. much like, about it's modern every times point in time yeah it's every single point in time in american history ultimately condensed it's the black hole of right everything it's the linchpin holding it all together the thing that runs through is this base desire to consume and conquer and expand and we are you know it's this human-like par- you know feeling of uh, being a parasite upon upon the the earth and upon all our the rest of our uh, our fellow societies or whatever mm. and because it is trying to still be this like relevant uh, what what they used to call problem pictures or whatever uh mm. like or issue pictures i mean you know that is doing if you that, call a movie a picture and you're under 87 years old it's an it's an old it's an old-fashioned term the, the I know, issue picture I know. i'm but, just drawing a line in the sand <laughs> but i think that because it's trying to do that along with also ha- literally starting their movie with like i do what i want that that really again that was childish and it was beneath it, it, was beneath <laughs> the film. it but i think that that really does not that does convey to me a sense of pretension it does it it does have have the pretense of i am smarter than than you the the viewer and if you don't agree with me then i you know i fart on your corpse i have coca-cola bottles in the middle of this here's the thing this biopic you know here's here's the thing to me because there's a time and a place for nuance there's a time and a place Mm. for exploring in a complex sense the the multitudinous um dimensions of humans and humanity but this is this is a case where the point doesn't need to be argued this is history this is and you know this movie isn't historically accurate because it doesn't really need to be the travails and the scars of imperialism they're they're well known they're a matter of public record and it's ultimately a just a a matter of how you digest it you know do you take it in stride are you kind of the 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 liberal elite you know the you know the whatever i was about to reference contemporary politics figures but you mm. know, that could get that just gets exhausting so quickly but mm. is it kind of the the liberal hawk of we need to you know bring democracy or whatever we have this this noble goal or is it just sort of the more barefaced neocon aspect of just pure extraction but ultimately i think that the, the there doesn't need to be a point that's argued here showing the truth or showing the emotional truth because it really is the same like all of the this this story of extraction of terror it's the same across all points in history that you view it and the important thing i think about this film is that it walks this beautiful tightrope for me for you it falls on its ass and both for you it Mm. falls completely the tightrope 
slips inside of its crotch and right. the tightrope is all actually really sharp and has a razor wire and it slices <laughs> it completely in half yep. and it scatters its guts and the halves of it you know go go everywhere but for me it's a beautiful tightrope act between the satirical farcical nature that you need to undercut and just completely strip away and annihilate the myth of dignity the myth of exceptionalism the myth even of competence because walker mm -hmm. fucking sucks like he's a terrible military commander who lucks into every advantageous position and he never ever gets punished for it and you need the the terror that it brings because it's not from the perspective of of nicaraguan people because it's not a spyglass into the suffering of another class of people it is right. it is a mirror you know meant for sure. american audiences and what i think it it's in really good faith, though, because from everything I've seen, it was done with the active support and collaboration of the Nicaraguan government sure. and people. And it, you know, Alex Talk seemed like very, very passionate about doing right by them. And there, the scenes that we do see of the Nicaraguan suffering is my favorite scene in the movie. And the thing that I liked this movie when I was watching it the first time, but mm. the thing that really twisted the dagger in my gut is that last scene where everything has been completely degraded. Walker is burning down, you know, Granada around him, and he's mm. giving a speech in the church. And it's, at first, you know, one of his, you know, sort of boilerplate speeches about American, American destiny and manifest destiny and all mm. that shit. But then it's, it cuts to, he's still speaking, and it's as if the speech is continuing. But it cuts to the faces of the Nicaraguan people just watching him. And the tone of the speech completely shifts and I love how it's written. It, it sends a chill down my spine, how he just states it so directly and so coldly, no matter what, no matter what you do, no matter what happens, we will always be back. We will right. never ever allow you to be free until every, you know, you know, I'm paraphrasing a bit here, but the idea is that we are relentless. We are legion. Mm. If it's not me, it's going to be someone else. If it won't be you, it'll be your children. But you will never be free as long as we have something that we can take from you. That, you know, combined with the the farce of it also, but it's it's a tragic comedy to me. And that mm -hmm. sums it up in, in this beautiful, tight little bow because it it's chilling. It's scary, but it's also funny. If you're not walking alongside the movie, oh, um, then Walker. it's it's not going to do anything for you. You really do need to open your heart to it. And you can say that that's, you know, a little bit of a party foul that a movie should be about, you know, welcoming you into its vision. But for me, I like I want to make art that is only made for a few people and will piss everyone else off. I think that that capacity for transcendence is is what's really valuable and cool cool awesome yeah that's a great word for it but whatever it's the word i chose see here here's the thing I, i'm of two, mind, two minds here because i want to show people things that i think that they'll like and i didn't do that in this case i didn't think you'd be with me here but hmm. you know some something about it i didn't think i mean i know you are you are like a really big george bush guy you're a big ronald reagan head. that's not what i said that's yeah. not i'm no, sean you disagree to be clear me, so you're racist to be clear you disagree I didn't with do me. This. and that's how and you know what my character that was just me that was my that was sean, my, my one of us is character. descended from south american people and it's not you <laughs> did i never tell you about my abuelo himmler <laughs> 
yeah, I, I want to show people things that I think they'll like, but sure. I also have to fight against my capacity to annoy people and make them <laughs> mad at me. So, you know, that's the war that's raging within me. That's, I'm my own real life Williams Walker because I'm competing against my instincts to, see, you left. See, I'm competing against my instincts to be a huge annoying pussy, but also to be, um, No, that's that's really the only thing I'm capable of doing. That's that's kind of my one setting. I, guess. I usually edit out pauses, but I'm gonna keep that one in full. <laughs> I don't know if I'm disappointed that you didn't like it or not, but I, I think that I was able to, you know, make make enough of my case for it. Well, Sean, when I first started becoming friends with you and we first started talking about movies, the movie that you told me that you wanted to like test me in the way that I did, kind of with my dinner with Andre or whatever, was Michael Haneke's Funny Games, the original. Or, yeah. or I don't know if you meant for the it to be. The I haven't original, seen the original. I've just watched the 2007. I watched fair, the original. Okay, so time. I watched the original, but it you know it's it's shot for shot remake. Yeah, blah yeah. blah blah. Which is but, awesome. More directors should do that. Uh no, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. It's funny. <laughs> no, no, and I liked Funny Games, but I also could not go into five star masterpiece. This is, you know, heights of cinema mode. And it's basically for the same problems that I had with this movie, which is this movie has a lot to say, or at least it thinks it does. And it conveys it in such a way that comes across as childishly, yeah, juvenile, juvenile and uh, nihilistic at random. It is saying, screw everything it is the eat my shorts it's the bart simpsons kind of it's the bart simpson of movies exactly you can put that on the box and i cannot reconcile a movie that has no spine to it how funny because criterion but it has no spine to it enough to actually engage with something you can make your satires and I'm not saying you, this is not, this is not some like whatever uh, uh, put down of all satires ever, but rather you can make satires that have intelligent things to say and are, or are nuanced or have some sort of thing. The movie I most compare this to is the great dictator though, where it's like, and that thing was bad and we don't like it. And it's still happening today, guys, everyone get up your, get, get up off your butts, uh, leave the theater and like, understand that things today are also bad. And I don't support that kind of silliness in, in, in art. And, and as much as, as much as I still told, I I mean, silliness in art or whatever, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it's bad, that it's absurdist, but I, uh, but I'm in a place you think not even I, you can make fun (laughs) of whoever you want. I want to see your political comics that are uh, uh, about so-and-so I want to see, I want to see somebody take a stab at wokeism. I want to see somebody take those damn blue-haired liberals down a peg. Nobody's done that yet. <laughs> it reminds me, sort of, of those people who I've met who say, like, man, those blue-haired blah 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 blahs. Or the people who I've met who have said those gun-toting rednecks or whatever it is. Uh, because they don't have anything interesting or clever or, or nuanced or powerful to say within them and so this movie to me felt like it just said we all agree that america is screwed right well this is more about how america is screwed and it is not done with any 
it's not done with a lot of, of intrigue or humor or or anything that's going to engage you to it as a movie, I guess. Well, sorry, the one thing I'll agree with you there is, yeah, there's not really nuance here, but to me, to, to call this, to say this movie doesn't have a spine, to mm. use on Universal Pictures dollar, unequivocally the most that. anti-american left-wing everyone says that oh it's crazy this movie was made yeah, on it like is. It was an american studio Ooh, because american studios have never embraced any kind of leftism not like in this the, not uh, like this yeah there's never been a, not badly there's <laughs> never been a major studio condemnation of imperialism that wasn't some pussy-footed liberal bullshit I'm sorry. This tells it how it is. I don't oh, care. Man. It actually, to say this doesn't have a, to say this movie doesn't have a spine, like, yeah, maybe you're not making fucking anti-Hitler or whatever in, in World War II Germany, but mm. he was excised from Hollywood after this. He never, like, this was his chance. I'm not saying the filmmaker didn't have a spine. I'm saying the movie itself doesn't have a spine. It's I'm taking a that, pretty fucking strong stance, and it's... And I don't mean it... I, I mean that this movie doesn't have a, a foundation. It doesn't have a... doesn't have any... It does! It has the foundation. It has dogma the very special... It's is fa- as simple as X bad, you know? No, it's fucking not the dogma i mean the the entire conceit is it's a rejection explicitly of its form it's it's an exploration and a rejection of the biopic as a format like it is a criticism very i mean on level one it is Mm. a criticism of the biopic as it stands in american culture and i think it's beautifully done the gradual hallucinatory to borrow mr criterion's words or mr mm-hmm. collection sorry mr criterion was his father but the the gradual breakdown of the reality around them, the piling historical anachronisms the right. you know ultimate and i think like beautiful frantic awful hellish last scene of everything burning down and the way it i think pretty subtly and artfully ramps into that and i haven't even talked about ed Harris's performance right it's legitimately one of my favorite performances in all of cinema because he embodies the the two important sides of walker which are really the same which is Mm -hmm. the the pretensions at dignity the cold steely-eyed dignified you know capital g great man of of american you know conception and then the whinging pussy fucking loser that he really is the craven hollow worthless man who ultimately whatever pretensions he grasped at was there was never anything there to begin with my favorite line maybe in any movie is when he's at his fiance's fiance his fiance's deathbed and he just says god you bitch that that's pretty good <laughs> incredible but that's pretty good also because i kind of felt like that that actually does what you keep on saying it does which is Uh balancing the sort of like biopic tragedy and i don't mean like that he's a tragic figure but like the biopic tragedy that it's making fun of with the inherent comedy where it's like that is almost a genuine line i mean really i just i completely disagree i think you know because it didn't connect with you that's fine you know mm. i don't think you're really being reductive you're seeing it you're you're calling I'm trying, it like you sean i try calling it like you seize it but to me to say this movie doesn't have in any sort of intelligence to it is just this crude sort of you know didactic thing mm. i think that the at the very like again surface level one 
of criticism of American imperialism. It's sure. Yeah. At this point, we've gone to college. We've been on the computer. We've seen, you know, the, the wise crack, you know, the crack.com videos about like top 10 most fucked up things America's done. And it's like, yeah, yeah. You, we're treating it as a settled issue, but this was during, you know, know. post Reagan era during politics. the fucking Reagan administration. Yeah, like, sure. yeah, that's, it's a pretty fervent and like anti anti-authoritarian. I mean, not even that it's, it's cutting against the grain pretty significantly just yeah. because it's a solved issue to you. doesn't mean that the movie isn't, wasn't saying something important at its own time. And I agree. And the same way I keep on comparing it to the great dictator. Obviously we all know Adolf Hitler, bad. but the great dictator, everyone was against Hitler. Like he wasn't saying anything that the studio system wouldn't have nodded their heads along. Sure. Actually, except, except, except what is it saying alienation. that we should, I mean, the great dictator was seen in its time as maybe instigatory into getting uh, America involved in the war because they were seeing sort of the the horrors of what is actually happening to the Jewish people in Nazi Germany. So, I mean, fair. What I'm not trying to reduce that. Again, I'm not trying to redo the, the great dictator episode, but I just... You just don't see it. I just don't see it, Sean. And it's not even, it's not even that under my modern lens, I'm like, well, of course we all agree America bad. So this is too outdated. Mm. I, it's more that I can't see anyone who during Reagan era administration saw this movie and was like, oh, this either changes my opinion or makes me feel like I am a, I have had an artful experience with in encountering that opinion that may have uh brought me in deeper to the uh to to what it's trying to say which is that like american imperialism bad like uh, there's nothing deep there's no but there i mean there. it's not even just that it's bad though it's the specific way that it's bad it's the specific way that we paper over it with our great pretensions and ultimately it's but that's exactly what the movie does it, michael haneke stinking funny games can't be like oh i stinking you know violence in cinema is bad but also here's violence in cinema <laughs> like in the same way i i can't what what does it do what it's in what way is it hypocritical? It has a, there are no Nicaraguan characters other than the stinking aristocrat. That is, who is because awful. it is not a spyglass. It is a mirror. It is. And again, like specifically made with the collaboration of the Nicaraguan people and government. I'm not because, saying, oh, I'm not I, saying I, it's I racist or anything. I'm not saying it's exploited. No, sure. In a yeah. Literal, but it's not literal way. I'm not saying it's like, well, this is a one-to-one obvious exploitation like like the actual Nicaraguan people should be ashamed of this or something. That's not what I'm saying, to be clear. I, what I'm just saying is this is a movie that is exactly the thing that it thinks that it's not, which is this pretentious, up its own butt, piece of basic propaganda, if that makes any sense, for its yeah, own sure. propaganda very can be good. simplistic Some viewpoint. Propaganda for a good purpose is good. I'm propaganda sorry. for its for a good purpose can be good in the fact that it can be good propaganda. I don't think it makes good filmmaking. I think that it makes bad filmmaking 100%. I, I completely time. I completely disagree. I think Fair that you're enough. choosing to ignore the well not choosing to ignore. I won't I won't attribute that kind of bad faith to you, but I think you're you're, you're being very generous to me, Sean. I I'll admit it. You're overlooking, you know, every aspect of it that isn't just what you've decided is is the most simplistic reading. And you know, I can't I'm sorry, I can't 
I can't travel this bridge with you, brother. Right. I, I, we have to part at the pass, and I'm going to ride off into the sunset with Williams Walker, and I am going to piss on Robert Ebert's jawless grave. Fuck you, old man. Roger, Siskel and Ebert have a great episode where they talk about this movie. And my last thoughts, and then I would love you to sum up your, your thoughts on the movie at, at, to, to take us out on a high note, mm-hmm. is, is Roger Ebert said that this movie has holes where jokes should be and no jokes in it. And I completely agree with that because there is always the – it reminds me of sort of uh, the modern uh, post-The Office type sitcom where it's like Jim looks at we're gonna put you in a wacky situation and then like they expect the actors to make the jokes or something mm-hmm. and they're they don't have anything to go off of except i guess we're in a crazy situation and that's what it that, that's what this movie felt like to me and i i i'm, I'm sorry i didn't uh, sean i really wanted to like it i i love ed harris i or I, I at least very much like ed harris and it looks cool it's just i don't know sean i i just couldn't i couldn't cross that bridge with you so i'll I'll let you take us out on a high note before we get into just, our this is the angriest movie i've ever seen i would mm. believe it's righteously angry you know for a good cause in a sense i don't really believe in the value of activist cinema so to speak but mm. i i don't believe in its in its capacity to create social change or at the very least i'm not optimistic about it but if you're pissed about something and you hate what's going on in the world make a movie because if it comes out like this 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 perfectly pitched like in entertaining this is a popcorn movie i'm sorry you show this to anybody they'll have a good time incredibly funny and chilling um i and just blunt force in its own way pure stripping away exposing the the raging awful little golem like creature at the at the hearts of man you know it's it didn't make you know it's a little bit like godzilla right it made me laugh along the way but at the end it just makes me ponder the the folly because what the fuck are we doing here on earth if this is what it's come to you make me want to be a better man but no you make me want to like this movie so much and i uh, what do you think is going to be the movie that's like that's the inverse because i'm let me tell you defending a movie is a lot more difficult i know i know attacking it so and i you know i'm i I think i I think i did all right gotten to this so far is completely ridiculous which is lay samurai which in the first episode i was like i don't know it's really good sean you saw it didn't you watch it like yeah i had no (laughs) and i was like yeah it's all right i had no way to defend it other than to say and then this cool thing happens and then this cool thing happens because that movie is also a movie that's just that's just cool but but it is yeah. it is i don't know i don't know sean we'll we'll have to see. i don't know see here's the thing here's the I problem if, with I me i think that the thing is i'm just that... too open-minded i'm too <laughs> the problem is that i love too much oh that, oh that you know what it. it's gonna be though it's gonna be any of those many screwball comedies that i love okay it's gonna be yeah. your arsenics and old laces it's gonna be your lady eves it's gonna be these movies where it's like well carrie grant looks at the camera and is like oh and and I'm gonna be like yeah. it's it's cinema, Not isn't it, Sean? And you're gonna be like, what? This sucks. That's probably the closest. This sucks. It. I hate this. It doesn't make any sense. That's that was Mickey Mouse. <laughs> that was Mickey Mouse. I think it's closer to Nostalgia Critic than Mickey Mouse. Would you like to bring us into our rankings for this week? Would you like to start us off? Because I want you to take take the positive note here. This here here's the thing. I 
in our in our discussion over the course of our past discussion and by past discussion i mean the last mm-hmm. 40 odd minutes i convinced myself into into liking walker even more but your 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 criticisms mm-hmm. they were felt and in many ways they voiced um some things that i was thinking about with the movie that, that maybe knocked it down okay. a little bit in my mind so i reevaluated my favorite movies uh for the none of you who follow <laughs> me on letterboxd and it doesn't matter because it will already have been changed by the time this is <laughs> out in many many weeks um I, I shifted around my favorites a little bit walker's still top 10 but you know that's that's all about my absolute favorites mm-hmm. i'm beating around the bush here so at my master ranking of the criterion flicks just to be clear, we we should probably state this every episode. We are we have twenty movies in our lists right now. Yeah. So so keep that in mind as Big we two state where things are ranked. So initially, I had it first above Seven Samurai and Red Shoes as my favorite movie, and I was thinking mm. about it, and I moved. Then I was like, ah, I don't know, I don't know if it reaches that level. You know, there's like a kind of a ceiling that it doesn't uh, of like mm-hmm. pure perfect transcendent cinema that you know once you once you breach it it kind of open it kind of uncut gem style it you look into the gem and it opens like a new universe of appreciation is it on that right. level so then i moved it below red shoes and then i just decided to settle out of court and put it at number two in between seven samurai and red shoes yeah i started to figure you were gonna do that that's fair i i get you I saw it coming yeah i figured uh-huh. i'd split the difference you know because seven samurai mm-hmm. it's still the king but I want to. I think. I think that's a good territory to nestle it in between because it's a different kind of movie than the Red Shoes and Seven Samurai. A very different kind of movie. I'm mostly disappointed knowing that we are going to continue this for hopefully seven years, mm-hmm. and you are going to someday someone has to dethrone Walker, and to do that, they also have to dethrone the Red Shoes. That hurts my soul. <laughs> yep. Hey, I've got actually a suggestion. How about you cry about it? <laughs> So at number eight, we've got Tokyo Drifter uh, coming in just behind Ghost Dog. And wow, I also have it exactly at number eight. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean, not too much more to say about it, honestly. Next up, number nine, cool. Hard Boiled, cool. uh, one above Amar Cord at ten. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe Hard Boiled's a little bit high. I think I could, you know, depending on the day you catch me on, I could bump it all the way down to number 12, just above Hoop Dreams and below Beauty and the Beast. Um, you still have it lower than Killer, though. Killer is like Killer's in your top four. five or yeah. something. Killer's, four, yeah. Killer's the top one. Right. And then Walkabout, speaking of Hoop Dreams, Walkabout's coming in at 14, in between Hoop Dreams at 13 and Night to Remember at mm. 15. So this was mm. no duds this week for me. This was a nice, solid one. Well, uh, here, here we go. I'm going to start at the bottom here. Coming in out of 20, at number 20, I have Walker. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, Lady Vanishes was my previous number 20 and has now moved to, or previous last one, moved to number 19. And I I sat here thinking about this. Like, can I find it in my heart to move Walker higher than at least The Lady Vanishes, which is just a, in my opinion, like functional movie. Like it is okay. It's not great. It's, it's a, a two and a half star, five out it's of five. Yeah, it, it comes in, it does its thing, it leaves, right? Um, but I couldn't, because it, it... I wouldn't respect you if you did. It, it swings really hard, Walker swings really hard, and it and it misses. And it's as, you can appreciate the fact that it swung hard, but you still have to acknowledge that it missed. 
I don't have to acknowledge shit. <laughs> Not you. Uh, at coming in at number 13, surprisingly a little low, is Hard Boiled, right above A Night to Remember, and right below Godzilla at number 12. I I liked, I liked Hard Boiled a lot, and I think it's a really good action movie, and it doesn't quite hit that, like, like Godzilla level of of nuance yeah, and capital power G, great to film. it. Yeah, right. Uh, Walkabout, number 11, right above Godzilla and right below Beauty and the Beast. I had it, it continued to dance with Beauty and the Beast basically up until I just said that right there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, Beauty and the Beast, man, I don't know. I, I might change it. No, I, no I can't, it's locked I can't. in. It's locked in now. I know. I keep on thinking about it, and I just I, Beauty and the Beast is 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 just has a little bit more raw uh, visual imagery to it. And Walkabout, it put its about, entire like. pussy into being a movie. Beauty and the Beast did, and I and I like, but I will probably end up watching Walkabout more often just because it's just cool. Mm-hmm. I put Tokyo Drifter in. I have I've realized I have a sort of a run of this specific kind of movie, mm-hmm. which is. Tokyo Drifter is number eight, right above Les Samurai, and right below The Killer, which is right below Ghost Dog. So it's like this run of like the cool guy who like shoots people and is mm. cool about it, you know? And I I like Tokyo Drifter a lot. It's not going to be... It, I was hoping it would be one of my favorite movies. I really wanted it to be. It feels like it while you're watching it, but by the end, you're like, yeah, it was it was a good time you know it's the kind of movie that that dials your voice up a pitch where you go sure uh you become the nostalgia critic no no all right so next week's picks so movies are all well and good but i i have always said and you will always hear me say this you talk to me for five minutes and Mm. you hear me saying this hip-hop saved my life and music episode my life one you said that about hip-hop you did oh, you did said I? hip-hop saved your life yeah that sounds like me okay it did mm-hmm. i wasn't lying but so next week we'll we'll be talking about uh the original rappers <laughs> um because we have well i mean here's here's the one thing what, what's next seven seal that's gonna go pretty hard that's a big yeah. one i've heard um i probably need to have seen that one already but more importantly for our purposes we have this is spinal tap which is a really funny one to favorite i'm so, so excited to yeah. to like be devastated by seven seals you know take on death and and the the notes i'm gonna have to take to talk to you sean about the yeah. movie where death plays chess or whatever and then you know mm-hmm. be able to watch the funny movie about the guys who are like kind of british or whatever so going off of that this is spinal tap we decided that, okay, we've got a couple like things that they just threw in there that are like music related. I don't, here's the thing. And we're going to talk about this on the episode. I don't know what like music, what these music movies are doing in the mm-hmm. collection where I won't be around the bush. I'm doing the Velvet Underground, the documentary, mm-hmm. and you're doing Hard Days the Beatles Night. Is Hard Days Night. Beatles. The, 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 lead, the leads from the, 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 the lads from Liverpool. Yes. And we're gonna be the Fab Four. The Fab Four. The Beatles. It is going to be a fabulous episode. I am so excited because the thing is, I grew up watching A Hard Day's Night. Like, not like it wasn't. It wasn't like in the main rotation or anything at my house. But I had seen it, mm-hmm. and so watching Spinal Tap when I suddenly became like uh, a teenager or a young adult, I was like, "Wait a second, the jokes." 
they're like making fun of a hard day's night or sort of like that type. I get it. Like, I, I don't understand how people who don't, don't see that, like, get this movie or whatever. You know what I mean? And so I... And I felt it was very important that if we were watching Spinal Tap that we had to watch Hard Day's Night. But you may notice that there that we've been following a trend lately. There's a big bullet-shaped hole in our program. <laughs> it's dove-shaped almost. And so mm-hmm. you may notice that we have been it's doing... It's dove-shaped almost. Dove-shaped. You, you may notice that we've been doing John Woo... Uh, as a mini series within our our usual uh, our usual picks, and so uh, we, there's one more John Woo film in the Criterion Collection that we have not done, and so Boubois next week is going to be a five movie episode the first and last we will never do more or less than four oh yes that's totally gonna last for about another six episodes (laughs) we're so we're covering the last. Wait, what's it called again? <laughs> I forget every time. Last Hurrah for Chivalry. The last Hurrah for Chivalry. That's the most John Woo title that there's ever been oh, in existence. I mean, he usually and has a very like, generic title. Hard-boiled, killer, Mission Impossible yeah. 2. <laughs> yeah. Why isn't that in there? But yeah, so we're going to be fin- uh, doing all five of those movies. That is Seventh Seal. This is Spinal Tap. Sean's Pick. The Velvet Underground, which... I think it's just called The Velvet Underground. I was trying to find something there that was like a music thing that I mm-hmm. liked. And that's, hey, it's close enough. And of course, A Hard Day's Night and The Last Hurrah for Chivalry. Woo! You got it. Thank you all for listening. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Go to uh, all of our social media, which is in the description. Please check out uh, anthonyreviews.com where you can find more movie reviews and uh, others just general news about the podcast and everything and as always we gotta end with naming the podcast sean i know what we're gonna name today's podcast you want to do the honors or should i i want you to say what you think you're gonna name the podcast just in case okay so to me this was the week of the walk right oh but if we're going Mm -hmm. on with with john Wu, you know the the wook the w-o-o-k of the w-o-o-l-k the wook of the wook pretty good wait 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 usually we end the podcast when we come up with the episode but there's been a record scratch that you've edited in post yes exactly i think we have to call this we have to do john we have to put john woo there so even if it's just john woo colon how about john woo's gone we have to call this john woo's doug walker john woo presents doug walker Oh, that, John that, that makes any Doug fucking Walker. sense. <laughs> yeah, you look at that in your podcast feed, you go, yeah, I know what this is all about, and I'm going to listen to it. Yeah, that's a phrase that has a lot, that makes a lot of motherfucking sense to me. <laughs> <laughs>